Welcome to Rink Wrap, the Bruins podcast with your host, Mick Collagio. Mick has been covering the Bruins since the Boston Garden days and has the guests and the insights on the hockey world from the local to the NHL. So drop what you're doing, drop the puck, and listen in on Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio. Welcome to Rink Wrap, the podcast. Episode number 17, the first of the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm Mick Collagio, your host, coming from the Standard Times in New Bedford, Massachusetts. You can read Rink Wrap, the blog, at blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. You can hear Rink Wrap, the podcast, at omny, that's omni.fm, Google Play, and iTunes. Follow on Twitter at Mick Collagio. Read Hockey stories from Gatehouse Bruins beat writer Mike Loftus, also at southcoasttoday.com. And at other Gatehouse newspapers, Mike works for the Quincy Patriot Ledger and does a great job. All right. After the Bruins' Game 1 victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs, personnel changes on the forward lines loom for Game 2. At Friday's practice, Bruins coach Bruce Cassidy reportedly left his top two lines intact. They are... Uh, Patrice Bergeron between Brad Marchand and David Pasternak and David Krejci between uh, Jake DeBrusque and Rick Nash. The bottom six is where the changes are happening. The obvious reason being the Tommy Wingles injury late in uh, last night's, well, we're broadcasting today, uh, taping today on April 13th, Friday the 13th, 2018. So the Thursday night, the 12th, is the day of game one, and that's when Tommy Wingles got injured. And to this afternoon, uh, Toronto forward Nazim Kadri was uh, scheduled for a hearing with the NHL's Department of Player Safety uh, for his part in that episode. Uh, waiting on the results of that. That will not be part of this podcast, but follow on Twitter for answers to that question. Uh, Ryan Donato at Friday's practice uh, skated on the third line. He was scratched in game one. He skated with Noel Achari, normally a fourth line right wing or center, uh, and David Backus, a staple on the third line this season. Danton Heinen, who had played the other wing on the third line for most of the season with David Backus and the injured Riley Nash, uh, skated fourth line today with Sean Corrali and Tim Schaller. But Heinen also skated some drills with Riley Nash and Brian Junta, who is uh, also expected to uh, be scratched once again from the playoffs. So uh, right now, it looks like uh, Ryan Donato will play his first playoff game in Game 2. It uh, looks for sure that Tommy Wingles is out and that Riley Nash, who is still recovering from that really nasty laceration to his ear, is uh, still doubtful for Game 2. All right, with uh, with the situation being was it what it is, uh, Coach Bruce Cassidy has to delve further into that game that coaches play and weigh uh, between keeping as many parts as possible intact versus starting out from saying, okay, here are my players and I want to put together four formidable lines so I can roll them and continue with pressure and good structure in our game. Uh Kadri, uh, for his part, uh, in his comments made in the Toronto Sun story, uh, said, uh, indicated that Wingles, not only did he elbow uh, Mitch Marner in the head, uh, that did happen, 
but uh, also that Wingle stumbled and fell, and so Cardry wasn't looking to hit him in the head at the start. Uh, that's what Cardry's testimony to uh, the Toronto Sun was following game one. Um, now, uh, saying he's committed to the hit, and so now that when Wingles falls, that's why he winds up uh, hitting him more severely and in the head when he would have hit more through the body uh, is really kind of silly because uh, Kadri clearly was about 20, 25 feet away when he decided he was going after Wingles and he was going to get him and he left his feet and he turned backwards Rob Blake style. But this wasn't even a hockey play like Rob Blake used to make. This was a, a just a, you know, a heat-seeking missile. And, and so it turned out worse, and that's what happens when it's reckless. And that's why results are part of the decision-making process for the NHL's Department of Player Safety. There is something in between the intentional act to injure and a hockey play, and it's called recklessness. And when you decide to be reckless in some degree, then you are culpable for the results of that recklessness. That's why that's part of it. Now, uh, I generally don't like comparing the league's judgment on one thing to that just happened to another thing that just happened and calling for consistency as if any two hockey plays were exactly the same. That having been said, Drew Doughty, L.A. Kings star defenseman, was, uh, has incurred the first suspension of the 2018 playoffs for his head pick hit on Vegas Golden Knights winger William Carrier. It was a reckless hockey play on Doughty's part that he executed poorly and cost the L.A. Kings star a game in a series they already trail to the VJKs. Uh, now, in Cadre's case, uh, the fact that Wingles was not an innocent party actually hurts his case because it also sheds more light on this as an act of vengeance. So uh, considering the fact that Doughty in his career has only been fined once, and that's a lot of games, maybe 700 or so, and, Wing- and in Cadre's case, we're talking about multiple suspensions in the last uh, several years, uh, how could the NHL not suspend him at least two games? Now, could Wingles also incur some discipline, supplemental discipline, as they continue reviewing the entire situation? Uh, it, would be, it would be a punch without any weight if it happened because he's already injured. It's unlikely that he's going to play again in the next couple of games, if not the series. So uh, it's not going to hurt the Bruins, and it might be the best thing that could happen to them because then they would no longer have to play in fear that the league is going to try to find a way to appease Toronto and even this up. And that's why it brings me to this. Brad Marchand, uh, it's, uh, his story precedes him. A great, great hockey player and a really nice game for him in game one. Uh, one of the things that uh, happened in that game was uh, Brad Marchand uh, once again crossed paths with uh, Leo Komarov, who is Toronto's biggest hitter, over 200 hits this season. The only Bruin who was remotely close was Nola Chari, who I think was around 160, and he uh, did it in you know fewer games, so maybe he would have been closer to that pace of hits per game, uh, but... In any case, Komarov, uh, is, is a, he's an agitator, he's a hitter, and he and Marchand. So Marchand gave him a little kiss during the game. I think Marchand's going to be very careful here uh, for game two simply because uh, his reputation precedes him. And as a repeat offender with suspensions this season, a fine this season, uh, you're talking about 
uh, a scenario whereby the Leafs will be looking for the league to give them a cut them some slack and give them a break. Uh, and Marshan is a primary target, so he will be a focal point. And so any of this other shenanigans and uh, silliness that goes on on the ice, uh, I think that that could become a gateway to hostile uh, reactions by the Leafs if they could goad Marshan into a scenario kind of like what could have happened last night but didn't because it happened before all this Kadri Wingle stuff. Well, um, we now have a situation here that is brewing. Uh, you know, and you can keep on looking at other stuff too. Rick Nash got it, took a knee-on-knee hit. Um, and and uh, so both teams can complain. The bottom line is uh, the Bruins would be wise not to give uh, the officials any ammunition. Um, play your game, play it hard, and play it true to your identity. And at the same time... Um, don't do extracurricular things that are going to give the opponent uh, openings to turn it into something else that can really become a problem for the Bruins. That's that's uh, what I got to say about that. Um, now, uh, uh, probably want to just get into my picks a little bit, my playoff picks. Just at the beginning of the playoffs, uh, I picked Nashville to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, uh, and the reason is because... I have, uh, on their behalf, I don't think I've ever seen an NHL team that's gone to the Stanley Cup Finals, been that close to winning it, and then go out and get add three center icemen better than the best one they had in the series that they played and lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins last year. Uh, I think uh, Sissons played um, first-line center because Johansson was hurt. Well, Johansson's back. They acquired Kyle Turris. Uh, Nick Benino, uh, they're now in a situation where Sissons doesn't even have to play center. Uh, they're in a situation here, yeah, sure, did their playoff start out doubtful? So did the Boston Bruins in 2011. So I don't go by that. The bottom line is the Nashville Predators they only have one potential weakness, and it's a potential one because it takes injuries in order to expose it, and that's on defense. As good as they are in the top four, they're a lot like the 2008 Detroit Red Wings and a lot like the 2015 Chicago Blackhawks, where they are leaning so much on those top four guys and uh, really can't afford anything to go wrong with those top four guys because that could really expose them. I really thought the Predators, the one thing David Poyle probably should have done is what the Bruins did in adding a guy like Nick Holden, who is not even in their lineup for game one, and I would expect that uh, the Bruins will leave their lineup intact on the back end for game two uh, going forward. Uh, so, so So that's my Nashville Predators spiel. Uh, now, as far as the Eastern Conference goes, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, credit to them, a great organization for them to win the Stanley Cup, to become the first team to repeat the Cup since the 1998 Washington uh, Detroit Red Wings, who swept the Washington Capitals to do it, uh, back when the East was giving uh, virtually no competition unless the Devils were having one of their great years, and they had a few, uh, but uh, there was nobody else in the East uh, who was going to step up if the Devils weren't going to do it in that particular year. So it was always going to be um, the Wings or the Avalanche or the Stars. And uh, uh, those and it was the Wings uh, that last did this in 97 and 98. 
uh, the Eisenman Fedorov Red Wings uh, and with uh, Nick Lidstrom. Um, and so uh, just budding talent then. Uh, bottom line, uh, we got a, a situation here with the Penguins uh, looking, you know, really, really good. I don't trust it. Uh, the Penguins uh, beating the Philadelphia Flyers 7 nothing in Game 1 of this series reminds me of the 1985 NBA Finals in which the Boston Celtics uh, came out and absolutely devoured the Los Angeles Lakers in Game 1 of that series, which was the second straight between the teams in the Finals. And the Lakers came back to win the series in six. Uh, I predicted Philly to take this series because I thought the Flyers were playing so well down the stretch and that the bottom's gut, uh, the wheels have to come off of the Pittsburgh Penguins at some point. I just can't believe that we're going to see the first three-peat of the Stanley Cup since the New York Islanders. Did you know the Edmonton Oilers, who were voted by the fans the greatest team of all time in the 1984-85 version, never won the Cup two years in a row? As ridiculous as that is, uh, Montreal won it four years in a row, the 1976-77 team being their, their statistically best ever. 60 wins, 8 losses, 12 ties. Three of the 8 losses to the Bruins, but they swept the Bruins in the final. They took them 6 games to beat the Islanders in the semifinals, but they were up 3-0 when the Islanders started winning their games. Nobody competed with the Montreal Canadiens at that time. The Bruins became competitors the next year, forcing them finals to to 2-2 before uh, Larry Robinson really took over the series. Uh, And then uh, in 79, when Montreal was getting tired and they were ripe for a beating and the Bruins almost got them and we all know what happened. So uh, the New York Islanders, a great dynasty uh, back in an era when you didn't need to have a good regular season in order to make the playoffs. Uh, you, uh, there was a 16-team tournament, but there were only 21 in the league. You had to be one of the five worst teams. That's when people used to say, oh, but in hockey, everybody makes the playoffs. Well, back then, that was true in the 80s. Not so much now. It's pretty much like everything else. The league has 31 teams, and 16 make the playoffs. That's barely over 50%. The regular season's extremely hard, extremely uh, – it's, it's a terrible grind. And without the emotion and the adrenaline that the company of the playoffs, it's hard to believe that a team, whatever team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who had six dormant seasons in between the 2009 championship and the next one that they finally won. It took them a long time and a lot of patience with that core of players that I certainly cannot imagine would have continued to happen in Boston, uh, given the same situation. Now, granted, they did change general managers, they changed coaches, and they had to redo their farm system. And very similar to what the Boston Bruins are trying to do right now, with the same core intact. Uh, The Bruins are pretty much following along that line, as the the Red Wings had successfully done between 2002 and 2008, and as the Penguins now have done between 2009 and and 2016-17. The Bruins are trying to do the same thing. Um, it's the new model. If you've got a good structure, you've got a good core of players, this is how you try to win. It's what you do. Now, how successful will you be? Well, it depends on how good, how healthy that core stays and how uh, well you draft and develop. And right now, credit to Don Sweeney and his staff uh, and the coaching staff, you know, including Providence, where uh, most of the roster has spent significant development time. And that's why the Bruins have had such a fine, fine season, which sort of puts them ahead of schedule. 
but can you stay ahead of schedule? That's to be determined. I think it's entirely possible that the Bruins could come out next year, not put up uh, as good a record, but it doesn't mean they took a step backward in my mind. It, it could be that they're closer to their goal. It's just that this year turned out to have an incredible win-loss record. To win 50 games at this stage of the retooling process, whatever you want to call it, um, took a lot of good fortune that is not necessarily going to be part of future seasons as the Bruins get closer and closer to becoming a team that can win the Stanley Cup. Uh, they're not that far off. You know, I've already gone on record as saying that uh, I don't expect it uh, for the simple reason that uh, history hasn't shown us in the expansion era, at least, 1967 and forward, any team with a 20-year-old defenseman playing top matchup, top minutes uh, at the end of his first professional season and winning the Stanley Cup. Charlie McAvoy is trying to make history, and he's trying to do it alongside a 41-year-old defenseman who's who's a great player and, and uh, who uh, deserves every Norris Trophy consideration he got from the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Uh, and, and, and I will get to uh, that business, too, because I had a vote. And, uh, and and we'll get to it. I'll let you know more about that uh, in future episodes of Rink Wrap. But I just wanted to s- explain how I'm looking at the playoffs, how I see the Bruins. Uh, it's very difficult to say you're going to win this series, but you're not going to win the next one. Um, they have had trouble with Toronto, but the reason I picked the Leafs in six in this series was was because the Bruins were not playing a good game coming into the playoffs. The last two weeks were really lousy, a lot of really lousy periods. When At times when they needed to have good ones, they didn't have them. Uh, last night they won because of the power play. Uh, can that continue? I think you have to win in the playoffs based on your five-on-five game. I don't think the five-on-five verdict of the series is anywhere near yet determined. Toronto had a very good response in the first period to the Bruins' adrenaline-laced start. Uh, they got they dug their way back into that game and they went to the room one to one. They were pretty close to doing going back to the room tied at the end of two when the power plays changed the game. Credit to the Bruins for having a good one and for executing and for capitalizing and being clutch and all those wonderful things. In the long haul, your five on five game is going to determine how viable you are in the pursuit for the Stanley Cup. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, so uh, the Bruins, I think, have a lot more personnel evolving to do on the back end of the rink, uh, but I'm enjoying it. I am the positive guy because I'm the one who's not going to be calling for ousters and pointing fingers and criticizing players uh, when they lose. Uh, I'm going to be the one who, who did not expect them to be as good as they were in the regular season, and certainly the way they went into the playoffs – I'm not expecting much right now. If they can beat the Toronto Maple Leafs and get into a series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, wonderful, good on them. If they can be a Cinderella team and get all the way to the finals and play the Nashville Predators or whichever team comes out of the West, then good on them. Uh, I didn't expect 50 wins, that's for sure. So, so it's an age of a lot of funky things happening. In 2011, the Bruins lost their first two playoff games on home ice and then won the series against the Montreal Canadiens, something the Bruins had never done in franchise history. In fact, it's very rare in any sport that any team ever loses the first two games at home in the best of seven and then wins the series. You can probably count them on one hand if you go through the NBA, the NFL, well, not the NFL, but the, the uh, NBA, the Major League Baseball, Baseball and in NHL. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a lot that can happen. I'm not saying things can't happen. I'm only saying that 
it's unlikely. And when you're asked to make predictions and everybody's doing it, so you got to make your predictions, then my prediction is no, it's not yet their time. I don't see it. I'll tell you what I can see. I see a lot of great things with the Boston Bruins, and I'm enjoying the heck out of it. It's been a great ride. It's been a great run. It's been a great season, and I hope it lasts for a while. It's it's really fun covering this team. They're a great bunch of guys, and they get a special thing going, and it should continue for years to come. Uh, meantime, uh, you know, there's a lot of 16 teams competing for the Stanley Cup, and we have to handicap them, and so we do it the way that makes sense to us. And right now, I got Tampa Bay going to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, beating Columbus in the conference final, and I got uh, uh, the Nashville Predators beating the Los Angeles Kings in the other conference final, and then Nashville uh, having a big old country music parade. Not that I like country music, but... Um, uh, that's just how I see it unfolding. So that's it for Rink Wrap today. Remember, you can listen to Rink Wrap at Omni.fm. That's O-M-N-Y. You can hear it on, uh, find it on Google Play and iTunes. You can read Rink Wrap the blog at blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. I will be blogging from Game 2 Saturday night in Boston. That'll be April, uh, that's tomorrow. So that'll be the 14th. And also uh, follow on Twitter because we're having lots of discussion on Twitter today, not only about the Kadri Wingle situation, but also about uh, tickets, playoff tickets, the secondary market. Why do we see empty seats at games? Why is it happening? Why does it cost so much? Do the Bruins charge this much? Who's running things? It's, it's, it's really become a very inexact science. And, uh, you know, you hear about bots being involved to buy tickets so that they can redistribute them and turn, you know, scalping into a legitimate enterprise, which is what has become. And, uh, and then what is the meaning of the word sellout in attendance figures? And then you look out and you see what you see and you know the people can't get into the game. It's unfair. So uh, I'll leave you on this last note. I've heard from reliable sources that the Toronto Maple Leafs only uh, released 96 tickets to the general public for Game 3 of the Bruins series. And if you don't have one yet, you better win the lottery if you want to go. All right, that's it for Rink Wrap. And I hope to see you soon, and I hope to have a pretty good guest on hand, too, because there's a lot of people hanging around at the Stanley Cup playoffs and some opportunity from some really excellent interviews. So we'll see you then. Until then, happy, happy, happy hockey, everyone.